ASIP, the voice of interventional pain management. The ASIP podcast is sponsored by Medtronic, your partner in personalized pain solutions for patients with musculoskeletal pain, cancer pain, severe spasticity, or chronic pain. To learn more about Medtronic solutions, call 888-638-7627 or visit back.com. The ASIP podcast is also sponsored by Boston Scientific. In a registry of 800 patients, 72% of patients used multiple waveforms when given the option. Boston Scientific's Precision Spectra SCS system offers customized pain relief, delivering multiple waveforms to a precise neural target. You want options? Boston Scientific delivers. Hello and welcome to the February 2017 edition of the ASIP podcast. This is Tom Pergy of the ASIP staff and on this podcast we'll have an extended news segment so we can get caught up on some pain news stories that we just haven't had time for in previous podcasts. But before we get to those news stories, I want to remind you about the annual meeting in Las Vegas that will be held April 20th through the 22nd. Now every year we tell you that this year's annual meeting is great. And we say that because it's true. And it's especially true this year. The speaker lineup is, like always, world class. And this year, we're really excited about having as one of the keynote speakers, Rudolph Rudy Giuliani, the mayor of New York during 9-11. He's also a former prosecutor and a really well-known political figure. If you haven't made your reservation yet, do it today. Go to our website, www.asipp.org. You'll find there links to register and uh, book a room there at Caesars Palace Hotel. You can also download the brochure, which has a schedule of all the lectures and events so that you can plan out what you want to see and do and hear when you're there in Vegas with us. Now, if you've never been to an ASIP annual meeting, this one is a great one to be your first. Now, you annual meeting veterans know what I'm talking about. Everyone here at ASIP hopes to see each of you in Las Vegas. The ASIP podcast is sponsored in part by St. Jude Medical, makers of spinal cord stimulation and radiofrequency therapy products. Visit them at professional.sjm.com. And by Stimwave, maker of the Freedom Spinal Cord Stimulation System. Find out more about the Freedom Spinal Cord System at www.stimwave.com. Well, we always try to have an interview segment on the podcast, but this month we're going to have an extended news segment for you. Because of time limitations each month on these podcasts, there are always some pain-related news stories that we just don't have time to cover. So this month we're going to try to clear out that backlog of stories. Stay with us here on the ASIP Podcast. Let's get caught up on some pain news stories that have been building up over the past few months. Questions about the effectiveness of Suboxone and addiction treatment in general have been raised in a study recently published in the journal Addiction. 
Two-thirds of the pain patients who took Suboxone, a combination of buprenorphine and naloxone, during addiction treatment wound up getting opioid prescriptions again. The Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health conducted the retrospective study. Researchers analyzed pharmacy claims for over 38,000 people who were prescribed Suboxone between 2006 and 2013 and found that 67% of them filled a prescription for an opioid painkiller in the year after Suboxone treatment. Nearly half of the patients, 43%, filled an opioid prescription during treatment. Most patients continued to receive similar amounts of opioids before and after Suboxone treatment. The study, which was funded by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, found that about two-thirds of the patients who received Suboxone stopped filling prescriptions for it after just three months. Well, China is taking steps to stop illicit fentanyl production, which is blamed for thousands of drug overdoses in the U.S. and Canada. China's National Narcotics Control Commission announced that it is, quote, scheduling controls against four fentanyl-class substances. They are carfentanyl, furanyl fentanyl, valeryl fentanyl, and acrofentanyl. The ban will start on March 1st of this year. The controls will close a loophole that allowed Chinese laboratories to manufacture fentanyl and its chemical cousins legally. The announcement came after several months of talks between the Chinese government and the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration. From their manufacture in China, the substances were then shipped to Mexico before being smuggled into the U.S. and Canada, where they were often mixed with heroin or used in the manufacture of counterfeit oxycodone and other painkillers. Traffickers also purchased pill presses from China, according to the DEA. Researchers at the University of Calgary's Faculty of Veterinary Medicine, which is known as UCVM, and Hotchkiss Brain Institute, or HBI, have discovered that an existing anti-gout medication is effective in reducing the severity of withdrawal symptoms in opioid-dependent rodents. Their work is leading to the development of a clinical trial at the Calgary Pain Clinic. Neuroscientist Tuan Trang, Ph.D., and his team, including Ph.D. student Nicole Burma, explored the underlying causes of opioid withdrawal and identified an important target in the spinal cord that is responsible for producing withdrawal symptoms in rats and mice. The target, called Panexin-1, is located throughout the body and, importantly, in the brain and spinal cord. The study was published in the journal Nature Medicine. Once they identified the mechanism, the researchers were able to test an existing drug, in this case, an anti-gout medication called probenicid that is known to have non-selective panexin-1 blocking effects. The drug is Health Canada approved, is relatively inexpensive, and has few side effects. Importantly, the researchers were also able to demonstrate that the drug did not affect the ability of the opioid to relieve pain. According to the website Medical Express, short-term memory loss may be another cost of America's opioid epidemic. Massachusetts health officials report that 14 patients experienced problems remembering things 
just told them. This is known as sudden-onset amnesia. The patients also had abnormal results on MRI brain scans. It is believed this might be the first sign of a new type of amnesia caused by drug use, likely opioids. Over a four-year period, 14 cases of people with the unusual neurological problem were identified from medical records. 13 of the 14 were either actively using substances or had a history of substance abuse. A 12 said they had used opioids, and six of those with amnesia also said they had used benzodiazepines. Another five of those with amnesia had used cocaine. Now, although this study can't prove that opioid and benzo use caused the amnesia, the number of patients reporting both can't be ignored. The ages of the patients, 19 to 52 years old, make it unlikely their memory problems can be attributed to a stroke or dementia. Moreover, the brain abnormalities seen on the MRI scans appear to be caused by a toxic substance rather than by damage to blood vessels. And whether the memory problems are permanent isn't known. According to the report published in January in the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report, most patients have improved over time. One patient regained complete memory at five months. Two patients, however, still had memory problems after a year. For example, some patients continue to forget directions and other information just given to them. Low back pain in school-age children is probably more common than you think. The prevalence is 1% at 7 years old, 6% at 10 years old, and 18% at 14 to 16 years old. Yet only 7% of adolescents with lower back pain will seek medical care. Diagnosis, pathophysiological findings, evaluation, treatment, and prevention are outlined in a recent review of the literature published by JAMA Pediatrics. Now, according to the literature review led by Nationwide Children's Hospital Sports Medicine, most causes of low back pain in this population are benign. However, the effect of low back pain can be significant, affecting activities of daily living such as school attendance and participation in gym class or other athletic activities. Also of concern is that low back pain in adolescents is a substantial risk factor for the possibility of low back pain as an adult. The literature review demonstrates that there is no single risk factor or set of factors for lower back pain as previously thought. For school-aged children, most cases are because of musculoskeletal overuse or trauma. One possible cause for the prevalence in adolescents is participation in sports. Studies have shown there is a correlation between the level of competition and low back pain, as well as there being an increased risk of low back pain with both high and low levels of physical activity. Other possible risk factors include a quickening of growth, adverse psychosocial factors, an increase in age, a previous back injury, and a family history of low back pain. Girls are also at a greater risk for low back pain. It is recommended that young athletes should not participate in more hours of sports in a week than their number of age in years. Well, folk wisdom tells us that the weather, including temperature, humidity, air pressure, wind direction, and precipitation, can influence pain. 
But new research from the George Institute for Global Health claims the weather plays no part in the symptoms associated with either back pain or osteoarthritis. According to Professor Chris Marr of the George Institute, quote, The belief that pain and inclement weather are linked dates back to Roman times. But our research shows that this belief may be based on the fact that people recall events that confirm their pre-existing views. Almost 1,000 people with lower back pain and around 350 with knee osteoarthritis were recruited for the Australian-based studies. Weather data from the Australian Bureau of Meteorology were sourced for the duration of the study period. Researchers compared the weather at the time patients first noticed pain with weather conditions one week and one month before the onset of pain as a control measure. Results showed no association between back pain and temperature, humidity, air pressure, wind direction, or precipitation. However, higher temperatures did slightly increase the chances of lower back pain, but the amount of the increase was not clinically important. The findings reinforce earlier research on back pain and inclement weather from the George Institute, which received widespread criticism from the public on social media. Professor Marr, who led the back pain study, added, quote, People were adamant that adverse weather conditions worsened their symptoms, so we decided to go ahead with a new study based on data from new patients with both lower back pain and osteoarthritis. The results, though, were almost exactly the same. There is absolutely no link between pain and the weather in these conditions. In contrast, studies have shown an association between the weather and migraine headaches. Nearly 70% of prescription opioid medications kept in homes with children are not stored safely. That is the finding in a study by researchers at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. In a national survey of 681 adults who used opioid pain relievers in the past year and had children ages 17 and younger living with them, only 31% reported safely storing them away from their children. Uh, among those homes with children 7 to 17 years old, just 12% reported safe storage. The researchers defined safe storage as keeping the medication in a locked or latched place for homes with younger children and in a locked place for homes with older children. The findings appear in the journal Pediatrics. The, re the researchers say their findings support the need to not only educate families about the importance of storing pills safely, but also to develop new technology, such as so-called smart packaging that only allows the prescribed person to open the bottle, thus preventing children, especially older children, from accessing the pills. Older children can easily overcome child-resistant packaging that younger children cannot. The researchers are calling for new packaging, such as tamper-resistant personalized pill dispensers to make it easier for parents to keep opioids inaccessible to older children. The study sample comprised nearly 5,000 adults who had used prescription opioids in the past year and lived in a home with children. Well, it seems as though we daily hear about the opioid epidemic here in the United States, but what about the rest of the world? 
Is the U.S. the only country with an opioid epidemic? Well, according to a study published in the journal World Psychiatry, the answer is no. Abuse and misuse of opioids is a worldwide problem. Researchers at Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health looked at surveys of teenagers and young adults in Europe, Latin America, Asia, the Middle East, and the U.S. Over a 14-year period ending in 2014, there was a 200% increase worldwide in opioid overdose deaths. An example from the study comes from Beirut, Lebanon, where non-medical use of any prescription drug was 21.6% among private university students and 10% among those in high school. And finally, we always try to have a medical marijuana story each month on the podcast. So, not to disappoint, here's this month's. A small human pilot study, along with a number of animal studies, are revealing that cannabinoids, extracts of cannabis legally sold as medical marijuana, could reduce cravings and ease withdrawal symptoms in heroin users. Neurobiologist Yasmin Hurd of the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai studies how both cannabinoids and opioids act on the brain. She discusses this in the journal Trends in Neurosciences. Now, while both cannabinoids and opioids regulate the perception of pain, the two drugs affect different parts of the brain and how the sensation is communicated from neuron to neuron. Accumulating evidence in animal models supports that cannabinoids could have long-lasting therapeutic effects. A specific cannabinoid, cannabidiol, has been seen to reduce heroin cravings in animals more than a week after abstinence and seems to restore some of the neurobiological damage induced by opioid use. A small pilot human investigation led by Herd mirrored these findings in rodents. In the study, cannabidiol particularly helped relieve anxiety related to cravings in heroin users who were abstaining from use. The ACIP podcast is sponsored by Boston Scientific. In a registry of 800 patients, 72% of patients used multiple waveforms when given the option. Boston Scientific's Precision Spectra SCS system offers customized pain relief, delivering multiple waveforms to a precise neural target. You want options? Boston Scientific delivers. The ACIP podcast is also sponsored by Medtronic, your partner in personalized pain solutions for patients with musculoskeletal pain, cancer pain, severe spasticity, or chronic pain. To learn more about Medtronic solutions, call 888-638-7627 or visit back.com. Well, from the lighter side of medical research comes this story. Mozart may enhance a man's performance in board games, while ACDC may hinder their chances, according to new research. The scientists behind the study from Imperial College London and the Royal College of Music say classical music may be the best option for men when concentrating on a task. Music was found to have no effect on women's performance, though they generally performed better than men at the game involved in the study. Now, in the research, the team asked 352 participants to play the game 
Operation. Now, if you're not familiar with this classic game, it involves removing various body parts from a pretend patient named Cavity Sam, whose nose flashes and buzzes if your tweezers touch the metal sides of the body. Researchers gave the volunteers headphones that played one of three tracks, Sonata for Two Pianos by Mozart, Thunderstruck by the loud heavy metal band ACDC, or the sound of an operating theater. The team then timed how long it took the participants to remove three body parts, as well as tracking their mistakes. The results revealed that men who listened to ACDC were slower and made more mistakes compared to men who listened to Mozart or the sound of an operating theater. ACDC triggered around 36 mistakes on average, while the sonata and operating theater noises caused 28 mistakes. It took volunteers around one minute to complete the task. Women, however, did not seem to be distracted by the rock music, and none of the three tracks made any difference on their performance or speed. Generally, women took longer to remove the body parts, but made fewer mistakes. Music is reportedly played up to 72% of the time in an operating theater. However, experts are divided on whether it has a beneficial effect. Some research, for instance, has found that Jamaican music and hip-hop increases operating speed and surgical instrument manipulation. The research was published in the Medical Journal of Australia. The ACIP podcast is sponsored in part by St. Jude Medical, makers of spinal cord stimulation and radiofrequency therapy products. Visit them at professional.sjm.com. And by Stimwave, maker of the Freedom Spinal Cord Stimulation System. Find out more about the Freedom Spinal Cord System at www.stimwave.com. Well, that wraps up this month's podcast. I'd like to hear from you. Send me an email at tom at asip.org. This is Tom Purdy. Thanks for listening. And please join me next month for another ASIP podcast. Music